Hi, I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group, and I get to do the honors today. So welcome to another in the series of PR Masters podcasts. Our guest today is Barry Rafferty, somebody I know quite well. She is president and CEO of Ketchum, one of the world's largest public relations organizations. Now, I know Barry because I served on the board with her of PRSA New York when Barry was president. Barry brings a tremendous amount of experience and wisdom to the public relations industry and to our podcast today. Uh, she is president, as I said, and CEO of Ketchum, a top five global communications consultancy. Barry's in the business of transforming brands and building reputations for some of the world's largest and most respected companies, including Gillette, P&G, Wendy's, 3M, and HPE. Barry and her more than 2,000 colleagues help clients break through in a media environment increasingly controlled by consumers through clicks, swipes, and likes. So everybody, welcome Barry Rafferty. Hi, Barry. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. So I am talking with Barry Rafferty, CEO uh, of uh, Ketchum Global, and uh, one of the things that I've been interested in, Barry, since I've gotten to know you some time ago, is um, I, I'd like to hear from you, in your own words, how did you get to where you are today? Well, Art, I kind of laugh. I did not take the easy path. I went on every step along the way. I started um, at Cone Communications while I was getting my master's degree at Boston University and worked part-time. I then you know, came to New York and tested out the big agency world, the corporate side, the small boutique firm. So I went from Burson Marsteller to in-house. Those days, SlimFast was actually a privately held company and went in-house and was the manager at PR there and then went to Lippy Taylor and worked with Maureen. So I had some great female role models um, early on, as well as worked with Rob Flaherty when I was at Burson Marsteller. So it was interesting to then end up um, coming to Ketchum, where I really, again, built my career and um, on the org chart here, have pretty much had you know every job on the org chart. So I feel like I've tried all the different positions from global to office leader to client director and been able to help shape me as a leader. So, so why you, Barry? Why you and not someone else? What did you do to kind of step over, let's say, the competition for leadership at the very top of a, of a renowned and highly respected organization like Ketchum? I think it comes down to a few things. One is, you know, I often talk about being entrepreneurial, that I was able to start businesses like Ketchum Sports and entertainment, and even when I was running the New York office, volunteer and pitch and make the case for me to be the leader of digital. So there's a lot about being able to be an avid learner, to disrupt yourself, um, and to also be able to attract talent and stand up and grow businesses. And to me, you know, all of those things added to my, you know, ability to always take on more and help bring out the best in those people and grow the firm at the same time. So I think that there's um, there was a lot of contenders and regional presidents and different people that came up through the ranks like I did. And luckily, I was able to showcase my leadership capabilities at the right time when the positions became open or opportunities became open to walk to the next step. So um, would you say, in terms of percentage, uh, what, what percentage did luck play in, in your uh, 
uh, rise to the top, and what percentage did your your skills and uh, abilities uh, play a role? You know, I, I often say you create your own luck, right? I think that people, um, you know, yes, sometimes you fall into relationships or the right, you know, client opportunity or things like that. But I think in these cases, to, you know, get to the role of being a CEO, you have to earn um, that over time. You earn that by demonstrating that you can lead on the days when sometimes you get the good news, but you also get the tough news and how you deal with those moments, um, how you create followership among people. You know, it's often harder, I think, coming up in an organization because you end up becoming the leader of your peers. So how you build that respect and trust over time allows you to go into different positions. But I often joke with my husband, sometimes it would be easier to jump from job to job, as a lot of these millennials do, and reinvent yourself every time versus come up through the ranks. Well, <laughs> well understood. Uh, what factor do you think uh, was gender You know, in your eyes? Was it a factor or not a factor? I don't think gender was a factor. It's interesting, I'll be honest, when they were writing the press release on me being the first um, female CEO of a top five firm, I took it out like three times um, because I really felt like I earned the job on my merits um, as a professional and a leader. Um, you know, not that Ray and Rob, I think, were acutely aware that it would be great to have more senior women, but, um, you know, they raised me and a lot of male leaders um, to be great leaders. And so, you know, I'm grateful that Ketchum has always kind of paved the way um, and paved leadership paths for both men and women. And I think, you know, Rob and um, really was able to, you know, groom me for a lot of my career and have confidence and faith in me to become the leader that I became. So I give him a lot of credit um, for, you know, putting me in that role, but I hope what he would say, and I think he would say too, that, you know, I earned the right and was the right person for the job when it was time for him to pass on the baton. Touche, touche. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you this. Um, you know, you, you, you uh, uh, cited some of your past positions and the firms you were with, and uh, I know Maureen Lippi uh, uh, very well, and she's a yep. great mentor without question. Um, what was, did you, did you plan to get into public relations, or uh, or was it kind of accidental? I mean, very often, yeah. you know, back in the day, a lot of colleges, universities, uh, you know, which now have great, greatly expanded uh, communications programs and, and an emphasis on public relations, uh, didn't have that much of it. I'm not saying mm. you're. You're as old as I, I am, but, <laughs> but uh, I didn't know what public relations was when I went to college, nor did I major um, in public relations. I went to a very liberal arts school. I went to Tulane, um, Newcomb College. I was an English major with a minor in psychology. And truthfully, I got an internship um, at the Superdome in their tourism department, and it was the first time I got kind of a feeling of kind of marketing and public relations and travel tourism and um, what that meant and ultimately um, decided to pursue a degree in that and then, you know, went to graduate school and, and got a master's in corporate communications at BU. Um, but that's really where I, you know, started to understand exactly um, what the discipline was and learned more about it as a field, uh, much more than I did in undergrad or when I went off to college. So what was your I know you recited some of the uh, some of the positions you've held prior to uh, Ketchum. 
what was your very first job? Was were you an intern? Were you a trainee? Uh, mm-hmm. What was your opportunity? How long did you stay at your very first job? And what opinions did you form about the practice of public relations? You were doing it in person as opposed to the textbook version of it. So what, yeah. what was your view? And uh, tell us about that. Well, the first real, I mean, I did the intern at the Superdome. I think I, I did some accounting, I don't know, nonprofit in school. But really, um, when I went to Boston, um, I got kind of an internship job two days a week um, at Cone Communications. And really, Carol, at that time, was at the forefront, right, of, you know, what you would um, call purpose marketing today. Um, Reebok was a big account, if you remember. You and I will remember back then. And, sure. you know, it was the first walking shoe. And I worked on Bausch & Loam and did Eyes on the Road, this kind of tour around the country. And I think at that point one of my big jobs was pitching radio media, you know, so you look back. But I think that Carol um, was a force um, even, you know, back then in terms of pioneering in this field. Um, a lot of what we then called more CSR, cause, you know, and cause-related marketing. And so it was a great role model for me. It helped me, um, you know, through my graduate school experience and helped, I think, set me up to get my first job, real job in New York at Burson. Hmm. So during your first job, what do you feel uh, you, you, you understood well about public relations and its role in contemporary <laughs> American society? And what do you feel that you didn't know about it that you felt you, you really had to kind of, you know, uh, uh, educate yourself as you went along? Oh, gosh. I wish I had a good enough memory art to remember what I felt back then. <laughs> That's what happens when we're the age that we are now. But I think that, you know, what I would say in this field, right, is you learn the academic side of the field and then you learn kind of the execution side of the field. So there's the theory that you learn in school and then putting it into practice. Um, And I remember, you know, going kind of when I came to New York and the big agency and um, being on Owens Corning Fiberglass, which back then was probably, you know, one of the first million-dollar billing accounts, ironically. And um, I was, I think, an assistant account executive, and it was a primarily B2B account. And I had this idea um, because we sold a lot of product into the mobile home industry um, to create the – put mobile homes on malls across America. I probably could find the logo. It's hysterical. But the name of the program was Discover the Affordable Dream. And I think that they poo-pooed me and were like, yeah, they're mostly doing B2B, but, you know, you can present this idea as kind of the token idea. And I ended up doing that campaign for the next, you know, year and a half of my life and having the first, you know, three-page um, in, um, what was it, Better Homes and Gardens um, on mobile homes, the first time they'd ever covered mobile homes and all the products, right? So I think I really learned kind of early on, how to take that theory and put it into execution and help businesses grow their business. And that to me was the exciting part. And in those days it was a lot about, you know, writing too. Now it's so much more about visual storytelling, but Oh my gosh, there was a guy at Burson Marsteller. His name was John Artopius and he was from, I don't know, like the wall street journal, New York times and a press release couldn't go out unless John stamped it. 
And that red pen, I mean, would go on your edits and you'd have to bring it back to him. And, oh, we'd stand outside his office, like shaking, like, what's John going to say? So, you know, a lot of those early learnings, you know, stick with you of kind of how you learn to write and present and do things in those early days have stuck with me for sure. But it sounds like you also wanted to extend the boundaries of, let's say, you know, uh, the the, the uh, practices in public relations at the time that you were going through this and that you saw more opportunity for public relations uh, as a vehicle to obviously help help brands, corporations in, in additional ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm always at the heart of what I've done in my career is I think look at it as building, you know, brands, and that could be a corporate reputation and a corporate brand or it could be a product brand but to me I think sometimes you know if we're not close enough to the business results we often can steer differently and so it's always been really important to me to deliver those kind of results and value for clients and the other side I think I'm a very right brain left brain you know when you talk about success I think that I've always had the creative side and been strong at you know, developing big creative ideas and being able to come up with the packaging and the naming and framing. But I've also um, always been committed to the analytics. Um, You know, today we go much more to insights and what that looks like. In those days, it was a little bit more of the basic, um, you know, analytics and measurement. But also I say to people, too, is I've always embraced the numbers of managing, you know, our business as an agency business or a client business. And I think that Sometimes, you know, I hear people say, you know, I've gone in it, and you can. You can just be all right brain or all left brain. But in order to lead a firm or be, you know, one of the top jobs in a, you know, CCO or things like that, I think you really need to embrace both. How do you manage, uh, Barry, the balance between work and home, given that, you know, you've raised a family as well? Uh, Did you, uh, and I guess as a prequel uh, question to that, did you always plan, you know, to continue working uh, even if you had a family? Was that your goal? Um, and if it was, if your answer is yes to that, um, how did you do it? How did you manage it? You know, I don't think I ever thought about not working, but, you know, my husband and I had lots of discussions, and he ultimately ended up being more of the work-from-home person than I did. But I often say to people that I'm not a big believer in work-life balance. I call it work-life integration. Um, And to me, it's like you've got to be really present when you're at work and really present when you're at home and make sure you're committed to both. Um, I think that, you know, I at one point in New York had the global brand job, and I had very young kids and was running our brand marketing practice. And although I coveted that job, it wasn't totally working for me because – um, you know, you'll appreciate this art, but at the time when you were doing a, you know, call at nine o'clock at night with China, you were in the office with a, you know, IT person there making sure your presentation ran. You know, you weren't sitting at home on your, you know, FaceTime. And so, you know, at that point, I took a bit of a lateral move. I ended up leaving that role. I came and talked to our CEO at the time, and he said, you know, well, would you consider running a profit center? And I was all excited thinking I might go abroad, and I ended up going home to my hometown, to Atlanta, um, to run our Atlanta office. (laughs) And believe it or not, my mom and dad, I think they'd found us a house in about three weeks to live in. They were so excited um, that we were going back down there. Um, But, you know, so for those, you know, two and a half years we were there, I was closer to home with my young children and 
you know, could have more presence and less travel, and then ultimately came back um, to run the New York office. So I think, you know, what I say to people is you have to have the right support network in place as well. And, you know, I've had every kind of nanny, and my husband's taken different roles, and we have a real partnership both in how we, you know, handle things at home and our kids and everything. And I think that partnership has helped make it a lot easier for me as well. That's great. That's great, Barry. Uh, I want to focus now on Ketchum itself. Um, and my my first question about Ketchum, uh, and obviously uh, now with your putting your stamp on it as as, as uh, the leader of the pack, if you will, why is Ketchum unique, and wh- what do you feel has been the basis for its uh, dramatic growth? Well, I think that you know we have been able to modernize the firm and continuously change the firm. I was really thrilled um, at the PR Week Awards a couple weeks ago when we were named Agency of the Past 20 Years, because what that said to me is not only have we won more awards than any other agency, and we're not the biggest, so we're hitting above our weight class in that, but I think it says we've remained you know, relevant year after year after year. And that means, you know, continually shifting our business model. You know, when I became CEO last year, I think people thought, oh, she's been raised here. She's going to, you know, keep things the same. And I probably made more change in the last 18 months than we made in the last five years. Um, And I think that, you know, we're repositioning ourselves toward a much more future-forward communications consultancy in today's business. I feel like we need deep vertical and industry expertise as well as, specialist expertise and the balance of the firm has really shifted to make sure you know there's the right combination of those people and we can do you know project work and visual storytelling and video and influencer as much as we can do you know change management and what you might think of as traditional public relations so i think the key has been for us to make sure that we maintain a culture um, that allows our people to bring them best their best selves to work um, and to put our clients in the center and to make sure we're tapping the best talent we can on their behalf, right? And so that today means also embracing, you know, technology, new resource management tools for our talent, you know, doing things differently. So we're constantly having to train and change and innovate. What do you put most of your time into? Obviously, there's so much to be done in an organization <laughs> of the size of Ketchum with 2,000 employees and many, many offices throughout the world. Um, what, what's the key to, to managing an organization this size as opposed to a profit unit you know, that you managed you know, some years ago as you were rising through the ranks? Um, a lot of resilience, no matter what. Um, but I think that you know, the key is a few things. One is to create a great team around you of brilliant leaders that you trust and can deploy. So you know, we sit down and look at you know, what's in front of us and um, – you know, divide and conquer, and you have to trust those people and make sure that you continue to attract those people. I also think that, um, you know, part of your job is putting out fires, but the most important part of your job is making sure you're spending time with your best talent and your high potential clients and meeting new clients and, you know, being that thought leader that's going to attract clients to the agency. So I often say, you know, my world is in three parts. There's the operation side of the agency and making the decisions and working with my operations and financial teams to make sure things are going well. There's the new business and client development side and making sure that I'm out there with clients and working with our teams to deliver the best results to clients. 
And then there's, you know, the thought leadership for the industry and um, for our clients to make sure that I am, um, I think, you know, being an accessible leader. Um, Yesterday I was speaking at the Leaders on Purpose conference in D.C., right, a great place for us to talk about our work in sustainability, but also as an agency leader, things that I believe in, like equality and, you know, making sure that we're doing things around DE&I and inclusion and other things. So it's it's always a balance. I love the job because every day is different. Well, you know, given that it is, um, I imagine, uh, you know, that there's a tremendous amount of pressure on your time, who you meet with and <laughs> Uh, yeah. What you focus on, there are crises that take place, obviously, within an organization that size. How do you manage your time? Well, one of my rules is I try to have half an hour meeting only. So that's probably when you said this would be over a half an hour left because barely people get more than a half an hour of my time. If you want a longer meeting, you have to request it and tell my assistant why. Um, I have an amazing assistant that pretty much is – the great person of saying yes or no and being a gatekeeper. And I think you have to be careful of just, you know, if you let everyone on your calendar, you'll never get done what you need to. Um, And then I really try to look at my calendar a week or two in advance and make sure I'm prioritizing where I spend my time, Um, you know, looking at the calendar globally to make sure I'm traveling to the right places and, you know, meeting people throughout the year is really important. So I think that, you know, your time management on a day-to-day basis is important. Um, The other thing I do is I keep buffers in my calendar for those emergencies. So I try to keep half an hour buffer in the morning and the afternoon that allows me to, you know, sometimes it's an email triage, sometimes it's jumping on a call with a client or an office or something that needs to get done so that I'm not overbooked. So when those things do come up, there's time built in to do them. Do you have any regrets about the things you feel you you can't get to? Oh, there's always things I wish I could get to. What I try to do is, you know, deploy. There's so many people that reach out for all kinds of things. So what I try to do, and people give me a lot of credit, I will say, I have a bit of a 24-hour rule that I try to, you know, keep up with emails. If people are reaching out on LinkedIn, I certainly, you know, other things can't meet with all of them, but I'll try to at least make sure someone touches base with them or gives them closure to something. So, but it's hard. It's hard to keep up. I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day and, um, you know, if I don't commute, my commute time is my triage kind of get through things time and the days I don't commute or I'm not on a plane, it's actually even harder, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, um Obviously, an organization that that you know that consists of people and not machines um, <laughs> is only as good as the people it has. Um, and obviously, since Ketchum has grown, you obviously have sur- surrounded yourself with some really capable people. Um, have you made some management changes in the past 18 months or so uh, that suggest how you would like to run the organization? Uh, obviously, the uh, uh, the people part of our business is uh, is a scarce commodity these days. The industry is doing well. Um, most of the top 25 have, have grown, and uh, yours is obviously included in that group. Um, tell me about the people factor and what you do to maintain the, the highest level of talent and capability among your inner circle. Yeah. Well, we're always recruiting, right? I think part of your job as any leader in an organization is, you know, out meeting people and looking for that talent. I think a big piece of it, too, is creating a culture that people want to come to. 
And, you know, I think we've worked hard um, at Ketchum throughout the years to make sure that we have a very welcoming, collaborative team culture that, you know, attracts the right kind of people. But I would say, too, that, you know, as we're creating more industries and more specialties, um, it, it, you know, we're, a lot of us are competing, you know, for the digital talent or the social talent or the influencer talent today or the healthcare, you know, talent in any category, right? So I think it has um, been about, you know, attracting those people. And there's three things I think our people tell us that we're doing really well. One of those things is that we have leaned into flexibility. So I have a mantra, I don't care where you work, um, you know, you want to go down and sit on the beach and do your work today, that's great as long as your work gets done and your clients are happy and you're accessible to your team as you need. You know, we have people, it's, you know, moms and dads and single people. And I have young people here that come in in the morning and they do their clipping service and, you know, whatever. It's not even called clipping today, but monitoring, <laughs> um, you know, get their monitoring reports out on, via digital at 930 and go to the gym at 930 to, you know, 1030 and are back in their office by 11. But they started their morning at seven and other people that come in at 930. So that's been a key to helping us, I think, attract and retain people is that flexibility. We also um, have spent a lot of time on inclusion. Um, and what does that look like? And it's it's interesting to me, and I'll tell you one thing. Last year, we have a um, DE&I council, so diversity, equity, and inclusion group, and we have chapters in our offices, and then we have an external advisory board. And they came to me, and they said, um, we think your maternity leave um, policy and framing is not inclusive. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we think it should be a family bonding policy, and it doesn't include adoption, fostering, um, you know, equal parts um, for LGBTI couples and things like that. So literally, they put a proposal for me together. Within a month, we had changed our naming and framing of everything um, we had, you know, we paid for a lactation consultant. They thought that wasn't inclusive, so now that's one choice, and you can have a sleep consultant or other things. So, again, some of the things I might not have ever thought of are bubbling up, and our people are allowed to shape and be a force for good in our own organization, and that's the other thing that we really hear about is that they feel they can impact the organization. So I would imagine that, you know, given the reputation of Ketchum and all the awards it's, it's won over the years, that uh, you, you you have a compelling case to make when you recruit top talent. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds to me like people will want to consider joining uh, Ketchum because of your reputation. Yeah, that's always the case. I mean, you know, people say, why are awards important? And I think it's important because it speaks to the work that we do, um, speaks, you know, to attracting clients, but also to attracting talent, right? People want to work for always kind of the hot shop and the shop that's doing great work. And so I think our client mix, our culture, and our, you know, ability to consistently deliver creative are great assets for us. Tell me your view about uh... – uh, Ketchum and your view of uh, women and diversity in public relations. Uh, it, you know, in many ways, of course, public relations does seem to be an equal opportunity profession, mm -hmm. even though you know we have uh, still some distance to, to cover. What's your view about about those two subjects, and what do you feel that Ketchum is doing? You know, to uh, obviously bring the playing field up to par. 
Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you know, many people know in about 2012, I um, had gone to the World Economic Forum and I, you know, came back and I said, you know, there was one simple question that was asked to me numerous times and it kind of changed my trajectory on this topic. Um, and the question was, whose wife are you? And um, you know me pretty well. I was not so thrilled with that after a couple of times and um, had gone, you know, as the CEO of North America. And I ultimately wrote a blog post that said, I'm, I'm not a wife, I'm a CEO. And but it took me on a journey. It took me on a journey coming back to our own agency and saying, are we doing enough to get women in the senior ranks? Um, I started a series that ultimately scaled to Omnicom and helped be a catalyst for what ultimately became Omni Women, where we now have chapters around the world. Um, so even beyond Ketchum, trying to create more senior women in the organizations, uh, more senior women creatives. And so I think that, you know, in PR, we're, you know, our industry is about 70% women. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, although I was the first, you know, you have Donna and Parada and others, we're now at a tipping point where big firms are being seen as run by women just as easily as um, smaller firms. I think that you're seeing um, a lot of senior groups and senior executive teams tip more towards female you know, I remember when our partner group hit 50-50, how excited we were, and now we're seeing more and more women in the top positions. I think that pay equity to me is just um, pretty upsetting that we're still, every time I see the PR week and the salary surveys and the gaps in homes and other things like that. So I think that the key is going to be, you know, we have to commit to pay equity. We've committed to pay equity at the firm and have really taken that seriously in all parts of the world to get there. So I think we all, both men and women in the field, um, have to be advocates um, to make sure that we get rid of the bias in the system and that there is equal opportunities um, for women to reach those highest ranks, uh, even you know, in greater numbers in the future. Um, Barry, you have been so proactive. You know, uh, not only within your own company, you have truly been, I guess, what one would normally uh, classify as a go-getter, a very ambitious and talented, you know, executive. Uh, you also give a lot uh, outside of Ketchum, you know, to many organizations, including, of course, you know, my working with you on PRSA New York. Um, you've been active in, in a lot of industry associations, as well as a nonprofit and charitable organizations. What is your thinking on that? Why do you do it? How do you have enough time to do it all? And what do you feel uh, you get out of it? Well, you know, I often think you vote with your time about what's important. And so I think, you know, you have to make time for all the different facets. And to me, giving back both to the industry and to society is where I gain a lot of energy myself. And so, you know, I have talked about and I did a TEDx talk on kind of a life minor of, you know, how do you align yourself with things outside of work that allow you to give back and, you know, for mine, it has been, you know, a lot around gender equality and diversity and inclusion. But, um, you know, I'm the chair of the board for Step Up. We're very active in um, helping girls fulfill their full potential and be college-bound. But I also give a lot back to the industry and, um, you know, on um, – you know, work with Elon University, um, where my daughter is. I work with the Council of PR Firms. Um, I work with City College here in New York and my alma mater, Boston University. And, um, 
you know, I really try to make sure that we're doing things that are going to help pay it forward for the next generation. And in my case, I do focus a lot on women, but not exclusively. But I want to make sure that, you know, when you look back at your legacy, right, to me, that legacy is, you know, beyond just, you know, she did a great job in building a company. But how did you use that position to have a greater impact on society? So many of the people listening today are, uh, are young folks who work in agencies. Uh, they are uh, CEOs of agencies, you know, that have been in business for a while uh, that want to continue to grow. Um, what advice do you give to people uh, who want to achieve what you have achieved um, and become, you know, uh, head of either their own uh, faster-growing organization or or another organization that is, you know, already in place? What advice do you give to people in terms of how to best uh, get ahead in the public relations uh, uh, universe? Yeah. Well, one of the things I talk a lot about is about, you know, disrupting yourself and being able to have the courage to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And, you know, that can be taking on a project that you don't know a lot about and becoming a quick learner. Um, that can be about being an accelerator and helping others achieve something that they didn't think they could do. I think that, you know, you have to be able to be an avid learner in this career, but truthfully in any career today, you know, technology is changing so quick. So, you know, looking at that and saying, what do I need to learn to be better at what I'm doing? And sometimes that can be taking a class. Sometimes it can be using reverse mentors. Sometimes it can be seeking out, you know, mentors or information. The other thing that I talk about a lot um, is, you know, particularly for women, that it is okay to be ambitious. I think sometimes that we feel like, you know, we can't have that ambition or goal as often. And so how you do that is important. But I think, you know, you have to look ahead and look at your career and say, you know, what is your ultimate goal and try things and create a path forward. And, you know, for me, um, one of the things, too, is sometimes, you know, you need to be somebody that people want to follow, but you also need to be somebody that's going to make the tough decisions. And so I think earning that respect and trust is really critical. Um, Ray Kotcher, who you may know, once gave me what I thought was the ultimate compliment, and he said that I throw a punch with a velvet glove, and it's always stuck with me because I think that you know, you need to, you know, sometimes make those tough calls um, and they're important, but how you deliver that and how you show up are also important and to build that trust. Um, and when people um, can trust you to deliver, it doesn't mean you don't have to have good manners and generosity of spirit and all of those things. So I think that, you know, finding your style that works for you has to be true to yourself and you know, with me and my southern roots, I feel like I've been able to do that, right, is make it in a field like this in a city like New York, but also stay true to um, how I grew up in those southern roots, and that's important to me. Barry, I'm going to ask you one more question. As <laughs> sure. We uh, the ending of our very, very uh, uh, informative podcast uh, today, um, and that is this. Uh, how would you want to be remembered? <laughs> um, you know, that's a big question, and I think it probably plays off what we were just talking about, is, 
you know, I want people to see both sides of me, that niceness and that generosity, but also, you know, that toughness and boldness and ability to, you know, pave a new path um, and make sure that the people around me feel like they have been better because of my engagement or involvement. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've often, the mantra that I find the hardest to live by, but one of the most important is it's better to be trusted than to be liked as a leader. But what I want to be remembered by is that people trusted that I always was doing the what I was doing for the right reasons and for the good of the whole, and that I didn't just use my position to grow business, but to truthfully make a better impact on our industry and society. And if I can you know, leave with that, you know, you look at your eulogy and you want to say, right, it's that that's a generous human being. Um, I think you have to stay true to your core. And I hope that I'm going to leave a great legacy at Ketchum for taking it to um, the next place and the next era and a place that people want to always, you know, continue to admire and be a part of. But I also hope that the relationships I've built here um, stand the test of time and that I can be seen as a force for good in many ways throughout my career and the things that I touch personally and professionally. Wonderful, Barry. Words of wisdom and great insights. I want to thank you, Barry Rafferty, CEO of Ketchum, for your participation today in our PR Masters uh, series. Um, your your insight will be of great value to everybody out there in the world of public relations. And, uh, and I thank you for being a friend, and I thank you for the role you have played in our profession to make it that much more respected, dignified, and highly professional. So thank you, Barry Rafferty. Well, thanks for the kind words and the great interview. Thank you, Barry. So this is Art Stevens uh, signing off for another one of our uh, PR Masters uh, series. Uh, We will let you know when the next one uh, takes place, and hopefully you will join us again. So thank you for listening, all of you. This is Art Stevens signing off.